Welcome to Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. And hopefully, technology, uh, <laughs> if it's working, we might have a special guest later on in the show. Uh, visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com, or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The handle is Critics Pod. There you can check out our trailers, the movies we talk about, reviews, news. Uh, like us there, follow us there, share it with your friends. Also, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Alexa, Stitcher, all your podcatchers. Subscribe there, rate and review the show, read your review on the air, and again, tell your friends. Uh, help them learn how to download the podcast on their own. <laughs> it really does help out. Uh, you want to help grow the show, and then Patreon. I hate critics done at such Patreons. The best way to help support the podcast. If you want to get a credit on the show, there's also a PayPal link and a podcast merch. I'm just uh, going to open link. a Venmo account. Just you can just send me money there. <laughs> Do that too. <laughs> uh, let's jump right into the trailers. Uh, Start with the photograph. Lakeith Stanfield and Isa Ray, which is a pretty great duo. Uh, two of the hottest uh, actors working today and getting bigger and bigger uh, by the by the movie. Uh, opening a romance on Valentine's Day, and uh, it's good to see them stake a claim in this spot uh, because this is seems like a perfect Valentine's Day movie, and uh, really sets a really strong romantic atmosphere. Uh, really great dramatic atmosphere as well. There's a the the conflict of this is really great uh, with her kind of trying to overcome her past or her her parentage and just how much of uh, how much of your relationships are influenced by your own uh, by your by the way you were raised but also kind of almost genetically in a way right. I, I really love that approach and I love that as as the uh, essentially the central conflict of this movie. Yeah, I mean, I was excited. It didn't feel like a Gary Marshall movie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, up until it said Valentine's Day, I didn't even think of Gary Marshall. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'll see it or not. But it looks like you know, it looks like they're trying in this genre. The something's not. It's not. It doesn't look cheesy. I guess is what yeah. I'm getting at. And so that, I think that's very cool. Uh, then there's the banker. The banker, yes, Anthony Mackie, Samuel L. Jackson, based off of a true story uh, about a uh, a guy in the 1950s, a black man in the 1950s, who uh, essentially tries to leverage off of a guy who has a lot of money to purchase a bank, and they use a uh, a white character who uh, they try to use him as a front, essentially, to purchase banks so that they can start giving loans to black people in disadvantaged neighborhoods and. Clever idea, and I'm glad this is a story that's being told. I, w- I wish I'd heard about this story uh, before. Uh, it's really exciting, and uh, I think it's, it's an interesting story. Whether or not they can carry it off, uh, it's weird that this this trailer has just arrived and the movie's already coming out, I think, next month. Yeah, early December. It's weird that they've waited this long to drop a trailer for it. That always makes me a little bit suspicious. Like, is is this even getting a theatrical release? Like, Right. It looks, if it's good, like it's the type of movie that'll piss you off. Like, really <laughs> hardcore yeah. piss you off. Uh, and for that alone, I'm excited about it. But you're right, there is that, you know, there is a hesitance to wonder how good it really is going to be. Yeah. But from the trailer, I think it looks good. So, if nothing else, it's got that going for it. Yeah, it's got a subversive quality that I like. Uh, George Nolfi is not a director that has a great track record. The Adjustment Bureau and... uh 
uh, the other movie I can't remember off the top of my head uh, was not a big hit. Like uh, birth something? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. The the birth, birth of the Dragon. The, yeah, that was a really not a great movie, the <laughs> Bruce Lee film. Uh, so, uh, yeah, as a director, he doesn't give me a lot of, a lot of hope for this. But, I mean, Anthony Mackie and Samuel L. Jackson are a good combination. Yeah. Got the Avengers back together <laughs> for a non-Marvel movie. Uh, let's give this technology thing a shot and see how it works out. Because we're going to talk about the Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, it doesn't look good at this point. Not answering? <laughs> no, he says he's having a problem. Oh, that's interesting. Basically, we were going to have Josh Adams on. says something went wrong. Whether huh. that means we can't contact him or not, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to walk over to my office area real quick because I do have a phone number I could attempt to call. Okay. We'll see how that works. Hold All on right. one second. Keep the audience entertained. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Uh, two, two guys walk into a bar. No, I don't. I have no. I don't know jokes. Uh, I don't retain information that well that isn't related to a movie. <laughs> I've never. I for some reason I've never been great at telling jokes. More of a more of a spontaneous. Uh, you know, the the joke occurs to me in the moment type of person. So I've never really had that uh, particular ability. Uh, yeah, so I got nothing. <laughs> um, working on two other podcasts that uh, have not debuted yet. That may be a thing in the future, but not yet. <laughs> hey, he's back. <laughs> Thanks. I don't have to cut anything out. It's awesome. <laughs> I, will, I will attempt to call his phone, and we'll see how much that sounds like shit. All right, that sounds like fun. Why not? All right, his number is one three zero nine. Everybody call Josh. I wonder if you can like tell what numbers I'm dialing based on the way the <laughs> tone goes. It sounded like a it sounded like a very cool uh, like a like an organ. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, answer the phone. Hello. Hey, how, how, how does this sound? I figured I just called your phone directly instead of Skype. Oh well, this seems to be working fine. How are you? Hey, sounds great to me. I'm I'm pretty good. Uh, how are oh, you doing? Oh, good. Well, in that case, <laughs> go right ahead. Fuck Skype. <laughs> Is that the only thing we're gonna fuck today? Because there's also this movie Terminator. Is that any good? <laughs> I wouldn't fuck Skype with, or I wouldn't fuck Terminator with your dick. <laughs> this, is, this has gotten off to a strange start. <laughs> <laughs> strange or just regular when we're all together? <laughs> yeah, it's just Monday. <laughs> uh, so, Sean, we haven't talked about it yet, yeah. Josh, but uh, go ahead. Terminator, uh, Terminator Dark Fate uh, is the. Uh, continuation essentially skipping much of the Terminator franchise between it's like Terminator 2 to this essentially is where the story is going we begin with uh, Linda Hamilton uh, Sarah Connor uh, somewhere in uh, middle I don't know somewhere in South America or somewhere 
and uh, something happens that uh, changes everything once again, and we're off into a new story. We skip ahead to today. Uh, Mackenzie Davis arrives from the past, from the future uh, to protect a girl named Danny, uh, played by Natalie Reyes. Uh, she's going to essentially be the new John Connor. And uh, she's tracked by uh, a, uh, a baddie, played by Gabriel Luna, who is uh, a new style of Terminator that is both the gooey Terminator and the robot Terminator. And he can separate from his robot and gooey side and become, <laughs> I don't know what they call it, the metallic goo. Anyway, uh, this movie stinks. Uh, it's, it's really, and I don't blame necessarily the director, uh, Miller. He's not, he's not a bad director. This is a competently made action movie. The story is what stinks. The script is what stinks. I think I posted a story that's on our Facebook, Facebook, uh, the, you know, the Facebook page about how Tim Miller's talking about having been forced to use the phrase, I'll be back. He was like, they had, like, the mandate from the studio is you have to work I'll be back into this into this thing because that's what this is truly about. This is about, and I said it in my review, this is about composting our nostalgia and serving it back to us. That's what this is about. And it's it's just that level of gross and disgusting and, and ugh, just that icky marketing ooze that's all over this movie is really just puts me off entirely. And I, I even the performance by Mackenzie Davis, which is quite good, because uh, she's an cr- incredible actress. She was a Tully and Tully, a uh, really tremendous actress. And it's just a shame that she's in this movie because this is not a movie. This is just your nostalgia warmed over in a microwave and served back to you. And if that's okay with some people, then fine. You have an extremely low standard. I don't have that low standard. I need to be, I need to be further impressed. And I was not further impressed by this. Yeah, at least Star Wars put your nostalgia on a nice grill and smoked <laughs> it. <or something. laughs> Anyway, it's good sear on it. It right. tasted good. They let it marinate overnight. <laughs> Josh, what do you think? Marinate for multiple years. <laughs> um, I mean, Bob, did you end up getting a chance to see this? I did not. Okay. Well, you know, there are times where you regret seeing some, not being able to see something because you're so busy. Uh, there are times where life takes over or you pick one movie over the other. This is one of those times that you've been spared. You know, it's like uh, <laughs> Thanos' snap. It, it didn't uh, make you turn to dust. Uh, Terminator <laughs> Dark Fate is, is god-awful. Um, I have so many problems with the movie, but I, I'm going to start out by uh, referring to Sean things that you've said before regarding the cohesiveness of a series of films. And I may be wrong when I say something like film language right. to describe my distaste for this, but the first two had a particular language about them, even though they were different films with massively different budgets and expectations were wildly different. They were both successful in their own way and cohesive as a dual film because of that language, because of, of, of how it existed in that universe without having too much separation. This, despite the characters involved and the, the nostalgia involved, is so unbelievably different to watch than those first two films. It is shot differently. Um, The action scenes, whilst fantastic, display a type of action that is far more modern and alien to this franchise than ever before. Um, 
I'd like to point out in Terminators 1 and 2, and even Rise of the Machines to a certain extent, the violence in those films is sudden and organic, and, and there's a particular gravity to everything that makes it seem a bit more realistic and existing in our modern world, and therefore it, it's a bit more uh, effective and even gory at times because it's grounded. In this one, it's just a series of choreographed moves between one machine and another proto-machine and then another machine. And it's a mess, even if it's competently directed for the modern audience. Uh, that's a major problem for me. Um, like I said, the way that it's shot as well, the first film, first film had a particular uh, low-budget style to it. Um, it, it. It seemed of its era, but it, there's a... Uh, there's something that we feel uh, a kinship to because we like that kind of of dirty Los Angeles 1984 film. We're okay with that. Uh, the second film had this wash of almost silver or chrome to the entire film stock. You can see it in every shot. And this one is just, despite its locations, Guatemala, Mexico, California maybe. No, I don't think they're in California, but Texas. It's just dull. There's nothing that jumps off of the screen and says, this is Terminator, and this is an important film to look at. Uh, the, the first two films had moments where we were kind of invested in what this story was trying to do and tell us about nuclear war and AI and the future. And even in its, its B-movie kind of way, it was successful at doing that. And this movie has no interest in exploring that beyond uh, cheap little tropes about future wars and whatnot. I, I have one more thing to say before we go on, and that's about the performances. Um, Mackenzie Davis does everything she can with an underwritten role. Uh, and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, believe it or not, does everything he can with a role that is a bit, a bit thankless, actually. But my problems with the performances here involve uh, Natalia Reyes and Linda Hamilton. Linda is bored, and her character is not written well either. So instead of somebody that's hardened and emotional all of the time, and, and the, the only person in the world when the story begins that knows what's really happening, uh, she's sarcastic for some reason, uh, it, it just doesn't come off right. And what she says isn't funny and, and the cheap I'll be back line, just, <laughs> it, it almost ruins it from the very beginning of her performance. Uh, th this is a disaster and I kept wanting it to be wonderful. I mean, nobody wants this to be lovely more than me. And I was so angry afterwards <laughs> that I, I couldn't, I couldn't even think straight for a while. It's, yeah. it's, an experience that I'll say is akin to the way that I felt after seeing Alien Resurrection, uh, a franchise that was special to me, that had similar film language and, and existing in the universe, but then a film that doesn't belong. Resurrection was shot differently. It was written differently and performed differently and doesn't belong there. The same is for Terminator Dark Fate, and they should really be ashamed of themselves because there's no reason that they shouldn't at least try and get this absolutely 100% right.
uh, Josh, uh, th- without giving anything away, there was a there's a pretty significant twist in this movie. What did you think of that twist? It happens right at the, near the beginning of the film. <laughs> the twist. That's the right. Beginning? I should I should say. Um, I won't say any spoilers, at least, Bob. Do you think that I should say it now and you'll cut it, or should I wait until the end of this conversation? Uh, what do you think, Sean? I don't really give a shit because yeah. I'm not going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it opens in, in such a way that a major character is killed, and that's why character's not in the rest of the film. The first 10 to 15 minutes of the film are promising, that opening scene, it really was gut-wrenching, not just to see somebody that we cared about as a character, but the, the CGI to make these people look young was astoundingly good. And also watching a child get murdered like that was very um, unnerving. And then there's uh, an opening action scene in a factory that I thought, was the kind of sudden violence, the kind of of weightiness to those scenes that the old Terminator films had. And then after that, it's just a shit show. There isn't a single thing that I can think of other than Arnold after that and Mackenzie Davis that are worth watching. And I just want to know what the hell went wrong. And the only thing that I can arrive at is that James Cameron, despite his lack of presence on the set, he still was involved in the editing process of this film, and he's he, he's got to be out of touch to think that this is okay to release. Yeah, I, I just don't see his his being involved enough. I think I think what's missing here is is his approach to it. Uh, he he created this universe. He created T two, and the feel of those two films is very specific to his to his style. And without him, yeah, I, you can't you can't have another you can't ask another director, especially one that has a very unique vision like Tim Miller, to try and do what Jim Cameron does. It's a different thing. I've not been the biggest Cameron fan, but I'm a huge fan of T two. And uh, and uh, even of the original Terminator, and and those are unique to to Cameron's style. And to ask another director to try and be James Cameron is is not the way to go. And really, without his input, without his vision of this, I just don't think it works. And I just don't think it can work without his vision. Or or maybe a less honestly, this might be a situation where a, a more carpenter like director would be uh, better suited to creating something like this. Uh, because they can try and ape Cameron a little bit more, as opposed to Miller, who's not necessarily a visionary or an auteur, but at least a guy who has his own vision. Yeah, I, I suppose you're right on that. I I can't say for sure what the, the final say on everything was, but yes, you're right, and it would be hard to ask somebody to make something just like Jim Cameron did. But then again, I'll have to go back to Rise in the Machines again. Jonathan Mostow is not James Cameron, but he's made, like, Breakdown, for example, is a really fantastic movie, at least in my eyes. And Terminator 3 is far more of a James Cameron impression than this one, and he wasn't even involved in that film. Uh, I just, I'm having a hard time coming up with the best way to explain how frustrating. Uh, the experience was to just know that after all of these misfires, they really just put out the same drivel yeah, like, as, I mean, as everyone says the previous ones were. 
I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a compost. I mean, it really is. It's a it's a yes. it's just it's taken your nostalgia, put it in a, in a blender, then put it in a microwave, and served it back to you. And it's just not uh, that's the it's an ugliness to the to the uh, formulaic and machine like quality of uh, of a studio just trying to recycle your nostalgia. And that really it just it sinks the whole thing. Like I said, I think this movie, in terms of other parts of it, are are very competent, uh, but but you're you're playing in the Terminator universe. You're not playing with your everyday you know action movie, and that's really when you're trying to call this a Terminator movie, but you're not making it like a Terminator movie. It, it doesn't quite work. You're just using this as a as a marketing tool. You're not making a movie that's true to what we want. And granted, now that's not their job to make the movie we want, but it, it is their job to make a good movie. And I don't think they made a good movie. I'll, I agree with that, and I'll, I'll add something to it. There is something about the first two original films that they were innovative. Um, there are, it was a bit of a copycat in its own right, of course, but then afterwards there were a lot of copycats that followed it. They were innovative in the world of special effects and action and, and bold storytelling on a B-movie level. Okay, this has nothing new to offer, nothing innovative. And in fact, they kind of robbed from their own franchise in a way. Uh, Mackenzie Davis's Grace character, she's, she's augmented. She's human, but she's augmented. Well, isn't that exactly what Sam fucking Worthington was in Terminator Salvation? I mean, if you can't even come up with a new way to have somebody battle Terminators or be a Terminator... What was the draw of the project to begin with? I think, yeah, the, the the stacking of the odds here is awful. First of all, Gabriel Luna, I got nothing against the guy. Terrible villain. Just awful. I mean, when you're comparing him to the iconic villain that Schwarzenegger creates in the first film, and then Robert Patrick, who's not the biggest star in the world, but is in that character, in that movie, absolutely incredible. You can't come at you can't come at me with what Gabriel Luna is bringing, where he's got no personality, where he's got his abilities basically are whatever the plot needs, and, and he is such an overwhelming presence at times as you're like you can't even buy into anybody that anybody can survive what he's doing. There, then you really you've stacked the odds all wrong here. Yeah, I, I agree. There's nothing about Gabriel Luna that makes me say. Oh gosh, I'm going to remember this um, baddie or villain for a long time. Uh, I've already forgotten him. That's why I didn't even mention him. Yeah, and, and I'll never forget. I'll never forget Robert Patrick in that role. That, that was one of the most innovative, dangerous, exciting things I've seen in a movie, and, and it really cre- it's part of what created my love of movies. And it kind of affects his career. If you see Robert Patrick in another movie, you think Terminator Two. Anyway, it doesn't matter what he's in. That's right. So that's how iconic that performance was. Yeah, that's a disappointment. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking of movies, you know, it's Star Wars did it, you know, the Rocky series did it, where you you have that nostalgia, but you still make a good movie out of it. And it's just, I don't know, is it just harder? I, I, you can't blame science fiction because Star Wars does it, but I don't know. The Alien and the Terminator franchise just have a really hard time. Do you just not do it? Is that the best answer? Just leave the leave it alone and don't do it anymore? Or what do you leave think? Leave the memories alone. Well, if it's going to suck ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, just you know, I, I don't I have the answer for that. But uh, I, what I am thinking of is the, the, 
the IP, right, it, it used to be super profitable. And so whatever's left, if you do something to reinvigorate that IP, then there's money to be made, right? But they spent $185 million on this movie. That is that's just such a really... It's a dumb thing to do when the last three films haven't met the quota that they expected. Right. Oh, I, I, gosh, what, Sean, what, you were going to say, I'm sorry. I, and one thing is that this is a movie made by people who use the term IP. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely right. That's funny. Anything else on yeah, Terminator? Nothing else. Um, Tom Holkenborg, uh, I think his name's Junkie XL, is his normal composer name. Um, he does try and create a, a, a credible score that evokes memories of Brad Feidel's past scores for the Terminator franchise. And so that's there, and that's good because I think that helps tie it in a little bit more to the originals. But there's just not enough new there. If you're going to do something like this, I think you have to have a really solid idea. Uh, uh, a MacGuffin that doesn't just rehash every single little thing. I mean, gosh, just when I thought that when Genesis, uh, at the end of Genesis, they're like, oh, well, the, the Internet is the villain now. It's the new Skynet or whatever. And I thought that that was really stupid. Uh, <laughs> this one is is just reinventing the wheel. Basically any type of technological innovation from this point on, they are saying, Oh, we'll it'll eventually end up in terminators. I, I don't get that. I don't buy it. It just doesn't resonate with me. Then why do we even exist anyways? Why is humanity worth saving? <laughs> How bad would it be if the best movie James Cameron is involved with in the next you know, the previous 10 and next 10 years is Game Changers, the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I completely, Wouldn't that be I terrible? Buy, I buy into that completely. Wouldn't I buy that into that horrible? completely. That's horrible. Because I have no hope for the Avatar movies, and this is awful. So, yeah. I really would love it if um, I could sit down with him and pick his brain a little bit and see if my my perception of him of uh, of an aloof, not self-aware guy is really who he is. That's the impression that I've gotten for a, such a long time now. And with this going by the wayside and with uh, Avatar getting constantly pushed back and no one cares anymore, but he's still going to shove it in our faces. Um, I wish that wasn't the case because he was – he was a hero of mine when I was a teenager. He was making all of the cool shit. And then he even managed to make like a romance watchable, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's just all downhill. It's like, gosh, <laughs> a, a hero's uh, swan song, it's, you know, it's, it's like Joe Namath playing for the Rams <laughs> or something. <laughs> no, it's, it's that, it's that Batman line. You either uh, die a hero or live long enough to become oh, a villain. Jesus. That's Jim Cameron now. You're, you're right. James Cameron is now the villain to me. That's funny. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for Josh came to the. I had a birthday party over the weekend, and Sean, you were 100 percent right. The parking was stressful. <laughs> I I couldn't go out there because, uh, but it, it worked its way out. Just the idea but, of it gave me anxiety. So, 
It did as me as well, but Josh had the best costume of everybody that came, so I do want to give him acknowledgement. All right, you got to tell me. He was a super fan from Saturday Night Live, Robert Smigels. (laughs) He shaved his beard, and one I want to know is the beard back yet, because it's been two days, and you probably grow a beard really fast, but it was an amazing (laughs) costume. Everybody, when he walked in, everybody in the room was just like, holy shit. (laughs) And then when he walked out of the room. Well, I think... Go ahead. Go ahead, Bob. Well, every time you walked, when you first came down to the basement in the character, when you went back upstairs, everybody was like, wow, this that's an amazing costume. <laughs> you really knocked it out of the park. Well, uh, the one thing that I have to say about this is that you can't always pull off the costume that you want because your body type doesn't always match what you'd really like to do. But... If it wasn't going to be Fat Thor this year, <laughs> it was definitely going to be another costume that fit my girth. And hey, George went as Bill Swirsky. I'm pretty much uh, I'm there. So it, it worked for me. All I had to do was look in my closet and grab a razor. So uh, thank you for the compliment, but I can't take too much credit. Uh, my wife told me, you know, that... I could go as that because we were watching SNL clips and uh, uh, it's good to be recognized because normally Halloween is a shit show for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> So sexy George Wedd then, that's what the costume. Yeah, he <laughs> knocked it out of the park. But to, the, to hey, his point with body types. George Wendt indicates sexy, <laughs> I'm just saying. To his point with body types, I put on an Austin 316 shirt and uh, jean shorts and people go, are you a wrestling fan? And I was like, come on. <laughs> Apparently, I couldn't pull that off. It helps, Bob, because I've seen a lot of wrestling action figures lately. I knew exactly what you were going for. Um, And at least I know that much. I haven't worn a Halloween costume at once, maybe in the last 30 years. And it was uh, it, w- it was a reference to Scrubs. I was dressed in doc- doctor's uh, Scrubs, and I had uh, uh, vampire teeth in, so I was Doctor Acula. No, that's fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And I do want to give credit. That's another excellent joke for Mitch Hedberg. If anybody <laughs> understands that comic, uh, he's talking about don't go see Doctor Acula. He will not. Uh, he will not give you medicine. <laughs> he will try and bite you. <laughs> and also, Michael, who is also on the podcast, him and his wife did characters from Goonies, which was pretty nice, amazing. The, to the point where people didn't realize That's they were right. dressing up at all. <laughs> but it, if you knew it, you got it. It was pretty right. great. All right. Well, thank you for well, much. Well, guys, I really appreciate you having me on uh, now instead of... Um, because my wife liked it for some reason. I don't know why we're together. And so after I get off of this phone call, I'm going to have to uh, explain to her that I've now talked the film to death and I no longer have to argue with her about it. So thank you. You've really helped me here. You saved his marriage. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you know how it goes tomorrow. Yay or nay. All right, guys. Have a good evening and a good thanks, show. Thanks, Josh. All right. Thanks. Bye. That was fun, uh, but I wanted to say so. I also didn't want to make him go another 20 minutes, because we're going to move on to the next movie, but Edward Norton's been on a million podcasts from Wedding Motherless Brooklyn, and he made the comment, there are no movies out there for adults right now, so it's the perfect weekend for Motherless Brooklyn to drop. <laughs> Not even referencing Terminator, but right. clearly, uh, I don't know if he meant to 
do a jab at it or not, but it was pretty. I just enjoyed that comment, knowing that Terminator was out there, and he probably didn't know that Lighthouse was. But anyway, yeah. Motherless Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, Motherless Brooklyn is uh, di- written and directed by Edward Norton and starring Edward Norton as a, a character who has a, a unique trait. He has Tourette's Syndrome. And uh, this is problematic because he's also a private detective. So he works for uh, Bruce Willis as a private detective. And uh, basically, Bruce Willis ends up getting killed, and he ends up investigating how that happened. Uh, The homage here is definitely Chinatown. They're definitely playing off that noir thing. And I I really thought that really worked. Uh, The the way that they play it is not so much about femme fatales and about... uh, about it's not even really about all that many murders necessarily it's uh it's really about intrigue and about uh, MacGuffins and about leading you in one direction and then going another and uh really smartly played it's a little over long but uh it it holds up over that time frame because Edward Norton delivers probably the best performance he's delivered in a good long while uh it's been it's been a while since we've seen this kind of Edward Norton and well the the Tourette stuff does get a little bit showy at times like you can definitely see he as an actor he's enjoying having this having this little go-to thing he also makes it part of the plot he also uses it very effectively and uh and so I I didn't mind it I thought for a while I was a little concerned like i'm gonna get tired of this as a bit <laughs> you know like like there are often times an actor will adopt something to do as a bit of business so that you know, like they've got something to play with as an actor right and i thought that was going to be what this is and it turns out not to be that uh, edward norton is uh, is uh, very serious about portraying the uh, Tourette syndrome in a way that that uh, feels realistic that feels uh, not necessarily it's not offensive I guess uh, unless maybe you have Tourette syndrome and you found it offensive I'm not going to speak for you but I, I didn't find it's him just overplaying and I thought he used it very well uh, I'm also impressed with uh, Gugu Abatha Raw who plays uh, his love interest and, and the chemistry between the two of them is really solid they really create uh, a very realistic relationship and, and I, le- I really love the, their interaction together uh, Alec Baldwin is the big heavy here, but again, he's not a guy who's a violent guy. He's just a guy who has a lot of money and a lot of power, and he's r- relatively, really, very good at using it. And it's and he's really effective uh, in a way that doesn't require him to be a mobster. Right. Uh, I, I really like the aspect that that it's the politicians here who are the big bad guys, as opposed to a group of guys who are just going around killing people. Uh, so that that aspect is clever. So really, a lot of this is very clever. Uh, is it a great movie? I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily love it, but I, it's not going to be one of my favorites of the year. But as in terms of being a solid noir detective story, I thought it was really effective. I really want to see it. I mean, I've been I've been listening to all the shows he's popped on, Marin Rogan, Hardwick, and he definitely has. It's definitely a passion project. He truly believes in the in this movie. That said, you, when you're director, writer, actor, like things like you've mentioned, being overlong and maybe doing a little too showy, and being the director not knowing what to cut and whatnot. Right. Uh, I can see that being real, but it seemed. I mean, he really seemed to. Believe it, believe in this movie as you should, and it, that that passion that he has for this really is makes me want to get out there and see it as soon as I can. He uh, he's been saying Alec Baldwin's the best he's been in a long time, uh, and it, that, that character is based on a real person from back in the '30s. Uh, it just I don't know. It looks like a fun movie or fun enough movie with I don't know. Just whenever you you 
someone has a passion behind something, you kind of want to give it the credit and the money it deserves. It's funny because on Hardwick shows talking about how Fight Club, when it came out, it was booed and initially wasn't getting good reaction. And eventually, you know, it, it it took a while, but it you know became a classic. While they were talking, and they were talking about how Citizen Kane wasn't a cl- right away, it was just kind of put up, pushed out to the side. And then f- after they got done talking about that, he goes, "But I don't want to wait twenty years for one of those Brooklyn, so get out to the theater. <laughs> there's no adult movies out there. <laughs> so go see this one. <laughs> Which is a total jab at Terminator, and I love it. Uh, T- typically prickly uh, Edward Norton. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whether he wanted to meet, whether he meant to be or not. Uh, This movie didn't do great, though. No. Uh, It finished at ninth in the box office, just over $3 million, and uh, was playing to a lot of empty seats. Yeah. And, you know, I just think it's funny. Bruce Willis dies right away, and I can just totally see him, the pitch. Oh, that's all I got to do? Okay, cool. (laughs) He's quite effective in those few moments, uh, so I I did like that. All right, let's move on to a movie I've been dying to talk about since I saw it, The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. What? is this movie. This is Robert Eggers, the uh, director of The Witch, uh, directing a movie starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe as lighthouse keepers. Uh, Dafoe's been at this for a long time. Uh, Pattinson's character is new at this. And uh, the dynamic between the two of them is they're going to be locked away on this island together for 30 days, supposedly. And... (laughs) They're going to go completely insane during that time, uh, ratcheting up the insanity throughout. Uh, and it's really, really remarkable. What an amazing movie. I, I don't even know what I think this is about, but I don't really care because I was just every kind of twist or turn just kind of had my brain boiling trying to figure out what the hell is happening right now. And it reminded me a lot of uh, movies that I really enjoy, like Night of the Virgin is a movie that, that, while it has kind of a point, it also is all about escalating insanity. And uh, similarly, you know, our... Ari Aster has a little bit more has a little bit more story to tell, but it's also again there's a ratcheting up of the intensity and the excitement uh, throughout, and that's what this movie has. It begins very soft, and then it just grows in craziness throughout to a degree mm-hmm. that you just you'll never predict what is going to happen. I could tell you how this movie ends, and you'll still be surprised throughout this entire movie. Yeah, everybody I was talking, I wanted to talk about it so bad, and everybody I was talking to about it didn't want any, they wanted to know nothing about it. I'm like, it doesn't matter what I'm telling you. <laughs> and when I finished it, it's like, I remember when Enemy came out, and we were trying to figure it out. And, and I believe we did. This movie doesn't need to be figured out, because it does not matter how you interpret this movie, it works. Like, I'm not kidding. If you wanted to make this Jesus versus Batman... <laughs> Watch it again and think that the whole time. It works. It it, right. it, it now, really does. I criticized uh, Joker for ha- for being a big all things to all people. I don't think this is all things to all people. I think now, granted, I don't think there is necessarily one specific point, but I don't think this is about reflecting you back at you and your perspective. I think this is a much uh, more daring and exciting film than that. Well, I don't. One, I don't think that's a fair – reflecting this is daring. He's saying that's not daring is just wrong. But this isn't about you. It's about the way you interpret whatever, however you want to interpret, whether they're – one of them is crazy and one of them is not. They're both crazy whether – you know, whether he saw something in the light or he didn't. It doesn't really matter because it works. Every scenario makes sense and 
on top of that, if it played in 1930, it would have worked. Like you can't take an Avenger movie back to 1930 and without blowing everybody's heads up. You could have taken you could take this movie back to 1930 and it would make sense in that time period. Aside from the Hayes Code violations, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, because they literally went and shot to that style, uh, and if it works today, it's not boring. It's actually a lot of fun. It's very funny. <laughs> it's a very funny movie. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, whether what you're seeing you believe, whether it's a fantasy, whether it's going it really, every different version of the scenarios works, and I think that's intentional, and in a lot of ways, I think that's very, really hard to pull off. But it's also it, one of the things that, that gives this movie a, a lot more purpose is that it is an homage to so many uh, pieces of classic literature. I mean, mm-hmm. you could go back to uh, Greek mythology, or you could go to Edgar Allan Poe, uh, you know that that type of uh, that type of you could go into Lovecraft, uh, a very obvious influence. So this is definitely the sum of a lot of different influences, and I think that may be part of the point is just to take those influences and bring them into one movie, and then uh, add in you know Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, who are absolutely incredible. I mean, uh, <laughs> this is this is Pattinson in, in in that period of his career where he's like. Okay, I did the Twilight thing. I need to completely reject that now, which is where everybody, Heath Ledger did it, Johnny Depp did it, where you get to that point where I can't do that Twilight thing again. I need to reject everything mainstream and do the least mainstream things possible. So he stars in Lost City of Z playing a character you barely recognize. He does uh, Good Days. And again, it's another one where you're like, that's Robert Pattinson? And here, yeah, behind a big bushy mustache and constantly masturbating <laughs> like, this is this is not the twilight guy anymore no and you're forgetting you're leaving out the cronenberg period of his career yeah there's that too the movies that no one went and saw but uh which is why he probably left him out but yeah he's been rejecting it for a while before he becomes batman again and starts all over again with yeah. all that crap oddly enough Kristen stewart's doing it as well coming back with charlie's <laughs> uh but i don't know it's just a lot of fun i i don't know like because there's nothing to really figure out, it may prevent it from you know having that impact that Enemy had. And again, I'm talking. You're talking. You're still a list level of good, uh, but I, I don't. It'll probably be on the lower part of the A list for me or whatever. I don't even why I'm saying A list, but whatever it is of great movies, it'll be on the lower end of that. But it was still a ton of fun, and I cannot recommend it enough. Everybody should go see it right now because it is. It's an easy watch and it's fun. It's exciting. It's weird. It is jaw dropping at times when you when you uh, take in the the visual aspect of it. I mean, Robert Eggers is a master at creating stunning visuals. He did it in The Witch, uh, and he does it here uh, in, in remarkable fashion. Uh, I mean, to the point where he's so amazing at this type of. Uh, this type of visionary, you know, singular auteurist vision that uh, that the part that really stuck me stuck with me was the part that's in the trailer. Why'd you spill your beans? I just hear that in my nightmares now. Because like, wow. And yeah, there's there's like even some of the. I mean, there's some really almost borderline terrifying shots. Uh, like the mermaid stuff, that was just like right. I, and I don't know. It just was. I don't know. It just that final really, image is is a stutter. Yeah, and uh, I'm saying literally, but I mean it. 
literally every shot of the movie could be a picture you'd put on your wall. That's yeah. how beautiful it looks. Uh, the black and white photography, it looks like a movie that was made in the 1930s and early 1940s. And every time they go into the lighthouse, the way he shoots it is so overwhelming. It's not even fun. I mean, it's like you understand why he's drawn to it, but at the same time, you don't want to be in there. Uh, it's it's just a, it is a great movie that everybody should go and see right away. So what did you see in the light? <laughs> well, there was nothing there. He's crazy. But, but you know, that was I, there was a bunch of kids in the theater. So at one point, not kids, but like 20-somethings. Yeah. And at one point, uh, uh, Willem Dafoe drops Robert Pattinson while he's painting the White House. And the kid just yelled, all right, move you over. Time to go home. And I was just like, shut the fuck up. Hell. But I mean, my brother was that type of person. His friends, when they'd go to movies, you know, they think they're these, you know, cinephiles at 22. Yeah. And the whole, they're all like, what was in the light? What did he see? And I'm like, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think he saw? Uh, but it really, I really did sit there like halfway, like not halfway, about three quarters of the way through, especially when they started fighting at the end. I the whole Batman Jesus thing popped in my head and I went backwards and it like it really could have been like Jesus really had that influence over people and Batman's broken Bruce Wayne so it if you wanted to watch it from that perspective it would still work overall I mean what what better institution is there at gaslighting people than religion right which is <laughs> I loved Willem Dafoe in this movie he's so amazing why did you why did you why did you attack me with an axe? You're the one holding the axe. What are you talking about? <laughs> why you? Why did you attack me? No, you attack. What he said, but you, we just saw. It was amazing. And what's so amazing about his performance is it could either be Pattinson so crazy he's imagining it, or he could be just a total asshole and acting like that. Yeah. And it works both ways. That shot so perfectly that both ways could be. However, you want it to be true is true, and it's it, it's to the point where he's almost talking like a Saturday Night Live pirate or something <laughs> like that. Like he's that the over the top, yeah. but he plays it so real. He he really brings it out when he's yelling at him. Yeah, to the point where you almost want to laugh, but the the scenes are so intense. But it it's just I don't know how he they walked the line they walked here and pulled everything off the way they did. Other than the fact that uh, Robert Eggers is a f- fantastic director, and him, Ari Aster, Tredward Schultz, they're yeah. all they're becoming this new club of directors that I I can't wait to see what they all do next. <laughs> this movie is so good that I laughed at more than one fart joke, and then actually got nervous during a scene where they started arguing about farts because, mm-hmm. like, it it gets seriously intense. Which you understand in this in this enclosed space that they're in, have, their beds are literally three feet apart, and you've got two people. The chamber pots are right beneath the bed, each of their beds. It's got to be the most disgusting place on the planet. On top of this guy just gassing constantly. You can feel the uncomfort you when you're watching. You can feel the atmosphere. You can feel you feel like you're in that room. There, there's a thing now in Los Angeles. We don't have it here, but uh, they have a in Los Angeles where you could actually do a 4D movie, where you could actually experience the 
you, they'll they'll spray water in your face, and you can actually smell what they smell. I do not want this in 4D because <laughs> I mean that would be overwhelming. That would be disturbing. Yeah, and part of me thinks that sounds kind of dumb too. The 4D. <laughs> like I've heard people that have gone and done it, and it seems kind of lame. Yeah, but, but yeah, that in this movie. They'd be like dumping buckets of water on your head and stuff like that. It would be, it would not be a fun movie to watch in 4D, but it'd be effective. Uh, but that's a, that, how effective is this movie? You feel like you did watch it in 4D. Yeah, that is true. In fact, 4D would probably ruin the effect a little bit. It, it really is a testament to Robert Eggers, and I can't I, like it's. You know, now that Netflix has TV shows, and you don't have to watch them over the course of like 10 weeks you can watch them in like a weekend and then you gotta wait a year for it to come out again it's kind of like that where it's like i can't wait to see what he does next but i literally just finished his last movie so it's gonna be a while <laughs> i uh yeah th- he's incredible uh a24 is incredible for what they continue to put out uh, and this is another one another triumph uh it, this will be kind of that second tier behind uh you know the the top movies you know midsummer and right. us and yeah, like the second five, maybe in the top ten. Yeah, yeah, it, it it'll be right around in the top ten for me for sure. Uh, hopefully, it stays in there. Depending, I mean, this movie's. I guess this year's going to have to get a lot better for that to be true, though, because this has not been a great year. Uh, but A twenty four has done so much good stuff that it, you know this improve, this might be only the fourth or fifth best A twenty four movie, right? And I mean that's the thing. The A twenty four could own like five of the top seven slots. Yeah, I can't wait to see what Tradward Schultz movies that looks. Waves, yeah, I, I, that looks incredible. Yeah, maybe the one that could give Midsummer a run for its money. Speaking of, finally ran into someone who didn't like it. Fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> this was at your party. Yeah, he <laughs> was like, "So they didn't like it." And he read a bunch of reviews that were bad. And then before he saw it, and then also Confirmation fell asleep. Bias. Right, and fell asleep during yeah. it. I'm like, well, you weren't infested. <laughs> and then my brother was like, it was a dark comedy. I'm like, it's not a dark comedy. It's funny, but sometimes you're laughing not because it's funny because you don't know what else to do. Right. That sex scene it's isn't just, funny. You just don't know how to react right. to that sex scene. Exactly. You're just, it's that nervous, uncomfortable, holy shit, what is happening kind of laughter. Right. Yeah, the Night of the Virgin has a lot of that. I still need to see that. You one. really do need to see that. Well, to make it a classic sometime, <laughs> 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 even though it just came out. Uh, speaking of, ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event for the linear, legitimate, and universally recognized, undisputed classic. The long goodbye. Yes, we chose this because uh, Terminator came out this week, and uh, <laughs> yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger's in this. Yes, he is. Yeah, <laughs> and we actually picked it because it's uh, a detective movie, and it's kind of you know Brother Lewis Brooklyn's Brooklyn. a detective movie. Then I'm watching it, goes, oh, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, this is Robert Altman, uh, 1973, the movie that he. Uh, not this, I think this is maybe right after Mash or. McCabe and Mrs. Miller right in that range. I think it was after McCabe and Mrs. Miller, because I think Ellen Gould turned down that movie and then took this one. Uh, but The the Long Goodbye stars uh, Elliot Gould as uh, Philip Marlowe, the classic uh, character, uh, transposed into the 1970s as opposed to the 30s or 40s. 
Uh, he's a detective in Los Angeles who uh, begins investigating the disappearance and what he believes to be the murder of his friend, who's played by Jim Bouton, of all people, uh, the writer of Ball Four, the former Cincinnati Reds pitcher, uh, who's actually a pretty compelling actor in this movie. I was kind of surprised. He, he seemed like a guy that I'd seen in other movies before, even though he's never been in anything else. <laughs> he's yeah. very good. Uh, but he begins to investigate that. He uh, comes into contact with a number of uh, different people who are searching for money. Uh, the wife of an artist who uh, he becomes a, kind of friends with in a weird way uh, plays a big role in that. But this is Robert Altman. He's not necessarily interested in your typical detective story, even though this is probably the most uh, – narrative-driven movie that I think he's done. Uh, he's definitely got more of a story than he usually has, and he's not necessarily as, as distracted as Robert Offman often is with, uh, oh, I wonder what's over here. But I do love his little asides. There are a number of them throughout this movie, and I think uh, I think my favorite one has to be uh, the, the character of Wade, the author, is just a guy who just invites you for, for various different asides, just monologuing you about what he's drinking or what he did drink or what he you know what he enjoys drinking. I love that character. Uh, <laughs> I love I a lot of these characters. Yeah, this is a rare movie where there's a group of female characters in this who live across the uh, the across the, the way in a different apartment from Philip Marlowe. And uh, you would think that they're just there for eye candy, but they're actually just really colorful, and they just add to the color of the time. This is 1970s. They're hippie girls. They're constantly topless, but it's the most natural kind of thing. He's never. It's never like this exploitative, lingering camera. They're just always in the background. They're just kinda. always just sort of there, and even Marlowe's just kind of gotten used to it. It's just part of what his life is. Yeah, the camera never like goes over there. You're always kind of watching them. I mean, maybe I can't really remember, but it seems like you're almost seeing them from his apartment the entire time. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just this weird little right. colorful thing that just kind of exists in this universe and kind of fills out this uh, very large universe that surrounds right. this movie. And that's part of what I, I love about Altman is that he cares about creating this very specific universe in which this movie exists and where these characters exist. Elliot Gould's performance is incredible. He never stops talking. He's just narrating the whole thing. Whether it's I'm going to go, he's going to go buy cat food. Which but is he's like first. narrating it without the voiceover. Yeah, like he's literally narrating like it. He's while having he's a conversation walking. with himself, basically. And if. It, if it was like any other movie or any other director, you'd be like, well, people don't say that. But for whatever reason, between Elliot Gould and Robert Altman, they make it work. <laughs> I don't know what it is. He's just kind of muttering to himself. Right. Like, he's just like, this is his inner monologue, but he can't keep it in his head. He's just got to say it out loud so it makes sense to him. Yeah. So which kind of treats it more like a character trait than, it, than an invention to just bring the audience in, which I, I really appreciated. Everything about Gould's performance, the way he refuses to change his suit or take off his – he doesn't like to take off his tie if he doesn't have to. He keeps that on the entire time no matter what he's doing. Uh, I, I really love the, that very specific character traits that he chooses. Yeah. No, the fact that the narrative is more straightforward – makes it easier to get through and stay with it's an easy watch uh it, it is weird you know it's if it were anybody else there's things you would probably pick apart and be like well why did they do that but because altman doesn't care it doesn't really matter and you just kind of accept what it is and the story it's kind of convenient it all works itself out but for whatever reason it's it's a fun 
entertaining watch, and that's really all you can ask for out of a movie. That's the thing. Is it, once you know that this is an Altman movie, you kind of have to go, okay, well, this is going to meander in places, just kind of, it's just going to kind of wander off on its own direction from time to time, and you just have to hope that maybe it'll come back around to what it's doing. And it, it's unlike the other ones, and maybe it's just because... One, it's the most narrative base, and two, I've had a little bit of practice over the last couple, or at least Gosford Park, not that long ago. Uh, it, I didn't feel like I had to warn myself. It just seemed to naturally happen, and it worked. It, it was just, it was easy. Uh, but yeah, it was a, you know, I popped it in pretty late at night. I think this, I was like at nine, ten o'clock at night when I watched it, <laughs> and it got through it no problem. And it was, uh, I definitely recommend going to watch it. It's you know, I don't know that I'll remember it like it will, like, Taxi Driver or Chinatown or something like that. But it, if nothing else, it was a f- lot of fun to watch and a really good movie. Yeah, and, it, and it's a it's an Altman detective movie, so it's just it's kind of special in its own in its own way, just because it's him uh, tackling a genre in a, in which he doesn't necessarily do. Yeah, and Elliot, you know, growing up with the Elliot Gould, I've always is a different guy. Yeah. All together, especially in the Oceans movies, but it, it's cool to see him as a young man, uh, and uh, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger getting naked, <laughs> not saying anything, just taking his clothes off uh, was a fun scene as well. <laughs> uh, I mean, Elliot Gould, you know, he's like the dad on Friends, and he's right. the, uh, the Oceans guy, and here he's kind of he's kind of oddly handsome, he's charming, and uh, and it's not like oh that yeah okay I can see him now as the guy who played. Hawkeye and Mash, you know, which I don't have you ever seen? No, I've never seen Mash. Uh, yeah, it's the similar, you know, he, he, that's where Alan Alda got his influences from this character. And granted, Alda takes it in a different direction that's much more uh, broad, but uh, this is the similar type of style of performance. And he it, just Elliot Gould was once really, really cool. <laughs> so, where do you rank it? I mean, is it because it's such a narrative? You know, the narrative is so somewhat normal. Is it lesser for you or? Where would you put it? It's a good question. Uh, I I I think I I think I know I like Doctor T and the women more, uh, but it's definitely on the higher end. I think uh, Nashville is obviously the one I hold up highest, uh, higher right. than anything. What Gosford Park to this? This one in Gosford Park kind of rank in the similar fashion because they do have a similar idea and there's a simple similar mystery, mystery idea. Uh, that one's got a lot more characters and a lot more uh, distractions. Right. Than this one. Uh, I I think I prefer this one just because it's a little breezier. Yeah, I think I'm with you too. And then just the whole, you know, I'll call it noir, but it's like Altman noir. <laughs> uh, I I I prefer that to the you know the Gosford Park genre. It's and I mean it's still you know figured out kind of who done it, but Altman the way I don't know. It, it, I'm glad it, I'm glad I enjoyed it. It was a lot of. We'll wait a couple months and we'll bring Mash, and then another couple months and we'll bring McCabe and Mrs. Miller and really just wrap up the Altman thing. Yeah, it's good to finally get one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 1989, nothing really of note. Uh, We'll kind of run run through these. Dad, Ted Danson. Oh, yeah, Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon. uh, I don't know who anybody else in it. Yeah, uh, I don't really remember remember, much about it. I remember the cover of the movie. Yeah, Jack Lemmon's weird haircut. Well, that was why I couldn't think of Jack Lemmon, but now that you say it, the face is not clearing in my mind where yeah. now I can really see the cover. <laughs> Immediate Family, I don't know anything about that, Definitely. but it made a little money. Shocker, the Wes Craven movie, I remember that cover, I never watched it. 
uh, Phantom of the Opera. Remember that cover? Because Freddy Krueger under the Freddy, the Phantom of the Opera mask. And then Second Sight. Uh, oh, wow. Bronson Pinchot yeah. and John Larroquette. Yeah. yeah the TV guy's a, making a movie. Bizarre movie, but somehow memorable. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I still remember it's Bronson Pinchot yeah, and John Larroquette. It's a detective movie, and he's got uh, psychic abilities. I mean, in theory, Dad and Shocker have memorable covers, because I remember those. <laughs> Uh, but kind of a throwaway couple weeks. This is two weeks' worth of movies. Yeah. I also left off anything that let, made less than a million dollars the last two weeks because it was a long list, and I know neither one of us had a shot to watch no. any of these. No. Uh, next week, we will have Dr. Sleep Midway. I think Sean's already seen Dr. Sleep. Uh-huh. Uh, Better Days, The Last Christmas, and Playing with Fire, uh, provided we see them all. That's what's coming out at least, maybe something else. Uh, I'm wondering about. Uh, I wonder whether they're going to expand Parasite further. What are they going to ever bring Jojo Rabbit? I don't know. Because that one seems to be getting closer and closer to wide release, <laughs> but maybe they won't. Uh, so those be the. Those at least be out. Uh, whether we get to all of them or not, we'll see. Uh, the classic will be The Shining, though. So we'll definitely talk Doctor Sleep. 1989, Henry the Henry the Fifth, My Left Foot. The movie where you had to carry fucking Daniel Day Lewis yeah. around. Staying together, best of the best. Best of the best. <laughs> what, what do you watch? Do you watch Best of the Best or do you watch My Left Foot? Which one? <laughs> watch them double feature. Like My Left Foot is like one of those, like when I look back on it, like that is like the homework movie that comes to mind. Like, that one and like the English pace that are like the two that really come to mind when I think of homework. Yeah, I remember that one because, like, I've never seen Last of the Mohicans, uh, but I knew that Daniel Day Lewis was this great actor, and they kept referencing My Left Foot. And this is before he really started winning Oscars. And I went back and I watched that one, and I liked it. And then when you start to hear the, and I don't even know if it's true, I may just be making it up, but the, the rumor is he was, they made him carry him around set and stuff because he couldn't walk and shit, and he was that into the character. Uh, yeah. I bought into it, and I don't like him anymore. Because <laughs> it makes him kind of a dick. <laughs> if that even happened. You know, right, right. I wasn't there. So I'm pretty, pretty dickish of me to even pretend it's real. <laughs> I'm okay with Mel Gibson. <laughs> He's changed, but Daniel Lewis, he might have done this. If you were, if you were the accountant, the accountant on set on a movie, and uh, the and the lead actor was telling you to refer to him as, as his character name, what would you do? Depends on who it is. <laughs> I mean, in the end, is that not what we would all do? You know, it's it's one thing to be like, if I didn't like him, I'd be all, I'd be mad about it. I'd probably, I'll probably lower in the totem pole so I just do my job to get paid. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if it's someone I like, I'll, I'd be happy about it. If it was someone I didn't like, I'd be mad about it. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> Mr. President. Uh, but that is our show. I want to thank our Patreon supporters for helping support the podcast at our key grip level. We have Charlie Messing and the hall of famer, Jason Bryant, the character actor levels. We have Josh and Beth Paul, Christina Cato and Cousin Jeff, and I believe Zach Covemaker. At the special effects level, we have Corey Fenner and Sarah Morrell. 
If you want to be a Patreon supporter, head over to IHateCritics.net slash Patreon to get yourself a credit on the show. There's also a PayPal link in our podcast merch tab where you can get a Batman vs. Jesus shirt (laughs) (laughs) until they take it away from us. (laughs) I think Disney owns both Batman and Jesus. No, they don't either one, do they? (laughs) Not yet, at least. Not yet. Uh, Yeah. That's the show. Uh, do you have time for Flick Shard? I need to go home. Oh, absolutely. I'm all good. Batman Begins, 101 Dalmatians, 2000. Batman. You said Batman? Begins. Yeah, okay. I'll take Batman. Good, because I clicked it already. <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors, 1986, 13 going on 30. 13 going on 30. Sadly, I'm with you on that one. Gandhi Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. Yeah, some more homework versus some fun. Right. <laughs> Lion King 94, Shrek the 3rd, 07. Uh, Lion King. Yeah. I did have to think about it, though. If it was maybe the first Shrek or possibly the second. <laughs> <laughs> My Cousin Vinny, What Lies Beneath. My Cousin Vinny. I didn't need to think about that one. <laughs> Just had to take a breath. (laughs) (laughs) The Incredibles, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, The Incredibles. Yeah. Gone Baby Gone, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The original? Yeah. Yeah, that that, that one definitely. I love Gone Baby Gone, but Texas Chainsaw is a top five all time. Thelma and Louise, Iron Man. Iron Man. Yeah. I feel bad taking. <laughs> I feel like I'm supposed to like them and Louise better. It's just been a while. Yeah. Rat race, Spartacus. Spartacus. Matilda, the hunt for Red October. Hunt for Red October. Interstellar, the fly, 1986. Interstellar. I, I moved George over to the other side of the room, so hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm not a huge Interstellar fan, but I at least found it uh, entertaining enough. Uh, whereas I, I don't even rem- I'm trying to even remember what you just said. The other movie is Cronenberg's The Fly. Oh yeah, yeah, not a fan. I'll take Cronenberg over Chris Nolan most of the time, <laughs> and I win. <laughs> Damn you, George. Not another teen movie. Shaolin Soccer? Uh, uh, let's skip it. Not another teen movie. Babe. Babe. I don't know why people like not another teen movie. It, doesn't, it ba- ba- baffles me. It's funny. That's why. Is it? I, uh, yeah. Is it really? Cause it's, I, I, I think just, it is. I don't think it is. Uh <laughs> By the way, just just a quick aside, uh, at a generational moment uh, not too long ago, where and it was it was just one of the saddest things ever. I was interviewing this kid, and he's doing this competition where Disney and Star Wars are actually involved in sponsoring it. And I go, "Are you excited about uh, Disney and Star Wars uh, uh, being part of your competition, supporting your competition?" He goes, "Yeah, it's okay, but I'm more of a Transformers fan." And my heart just dropped. Just just dropped. <laughs> kind of funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> Solaris, 1972, Miss Congeniality. Solaris. Sure. <laughs> Star Wars, 
Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, 1937, Pride and Prejudice. What year? 05. Still White. I'm just going to go with you on whatever you picked on that one. <laughs> Arachnophobia, Red Dragon. <laughs> Red Dragon. Yeah. Child's Play 2, Rush Hour. Rush Hour. Thor the Dark World V for Vendetta V for Vendetta I didn't really need to think about that I don't even I don't really like V for Vendetta that much But I like it better than Thor Pocahontas There's something about Mary There's something about Mary Kill Bill Volume 2 The Mist Kill Bill Agreed Ace Ventura American Graffiti Oof uh, <laughs> American Graffiti. Did you see? I posted it. Uh, I guess I didn't post all of it. My cousin did a midsummer Halloween costume. It is fantastic, too. Really? Was it a bear? <laughs> no, he had like flowers shooting out of his eyes. Whoa! It was ridiculous. I put it on our Instagram. I'll have to put it on our Facebook account, but he also did Ace Ventura. <laughs> he had two different, two different parties. But he, I mean, He's really, really talented in terms of. I mean, it, it was exactly like the Ace Ventura character, but the Midsummer stuff was fantastic. It was. Just like, flowers breathe. <laughs> right. It was like on level with your cousin Jeff. It was that oh, wow. kind of out there and like pretty perfect. God damn it. Interstellar or Starship Troopers 2. <laughs> Have you seen Starship Troopers 2? Because I haven't. No. Oh, good. We can reset it. Thank God. I don't want to pick Interstellar. <laughs> yes. Interstellar, Braveheart. Interstellar. Braveheart is so much better. It's not even fun. <laughs> Thank you, George. I wonder where Josh would have come down with that one. That would have broke Josh. <laughs> yes. Old boy or small soldiers? Old boy. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. Sweetie, 89. Never heard of it. Big Daddy, 99. The Fly, 1986. Ugh. Oh, jeez. You hate The Fly that much? <laughs> I don't really care for it, but yeah, The Fly. I mean... To me, I, like I don't think Big Daddy's a bad Sandler movie. I think it's just kind of there. It's kind of a waste of time. <laughs> I hate that one. I don't understand. Uh, the Holiday, Lethal Weapon. <sighs> Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I can't get away from my nostalgia. I mean, I don't really know The Holiday anyway. Airplane, The Princess Diaries. Airplane. Freaky Friday with Jamie Lee Curtis or SWAT? Oof, boy. Uh, neither one of those is very good. Uh, Freaky Friday. I don't hate Freaky Friday. I don't love it, but it's Dude. at least watchable. Dude, where's my car? The Negotiator. The Negotiator. I have a weird soft spot for that movie. <laughs> I can't even explain it because I don't think it's good, but I, I watch it so many times when it's on TV, I don't know why. Alien versus Predator, Mighty Aphrodite. Mighty Aphrodite. Planes, trains, and automobiles, Van Helsing. 
<laughs> and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>